Hi, everybody, and welcome back to True Time. This week's case truly represents that a family that looks happy on the outside isn't always on the inside. This is the story of the Whitaker family. everybody hello everyone welcome back to true time this week welcome back and we are very glad you're back so glad (laughs) my name is avery if you're a new listener my name is dylan i feel like we are getting in a better habit of introducing ourselves yeah i always just think it's the same people every week but if you're new here welcome yeah let us know if you're new here send us a message comment on one of our posts Mm mm-hmm Let us know when you started listening or how you found us. Yeah. I mean, we're interested in anything anyone has to say. So you have anything to say? (laughs) We are interested in what any of you have to say about anything. So So talk to us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we're definitely excited this weekend. I know it's Monday Mm -hmm. when you're listening to this, but this is what happened or is going to happen for us this weekend. So we are keeping you guys updated on the cat adoption process. Yes. And tomorrow is Sunday for us. So we are officially going to go meet the newborn kittens. Mm-hmm. Find our cat. And I am so excited. Me too. It's, I It's like hitting me harder than I thought it would. And I'm a lot happier than I truly expected. So. Aw, that's so fun. cute. <laughs> Dylan's like, don't embarrass me. <laughs> it's not cute it's cool cool dope that's anytime i say dylan's cute i have to, he gets upset that i didn't say dope or something but no we're super excited and i can't wait to just play with them and pet them yeah i know and learn about them we have our eyes on two we have seen some pictures that they emailed us we're not getting to no no it's between two just it's from pictures two. not meeting in person but yeah and they are super cute mm-hmm. they're personalities definitely show a little in their pictures yeah you can see in the pictures one is a definitely outgoing looks i don't know he has an intense glare of (laughs) he's very curious looking yeah Yeah. that's a good one yeah dylan i think knows which one he has a preference for but i'm still undecided because for me i want the personality to be like my deciding factor. So I'm trying to not play favorites or go yeah. into it with a closed mind. I just want to meet them and play with them and see how it goes from there. Yeah. I'd say I have a problem of the more I look at something, the more things I find to like or that I like about something, I just get too decisive. I'm like <laughs> mm, leaning like a percent more on the other direction every day. And it's going to be hard once we get there because I'm going to be like, ah, I really want this one. (laughs) I know. But either way, it's going to be a really fun time and we will let you all know how it goes. Yeah. And if you want to see pictures, you can follow Avery's personal um, social media. Yeah. She said she's going to be posting a lot about Maybe I'll post on our Instagram story a picture of Mm -hmm. each of them. Yeah. And you guys can let us know which one you think. That would be fun. It's cuter. I mean, they're both so cute, but whatever your preference would be. Yeah. So if you do want to be in on the decision, uh, Avery will post it on her personal 
uh, Instagram at Avery E. Hamill. And on the True Time Podcast at True Time Podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So are you ready to get into this week's case? Yes, I am. It's definitely a heavy one. Mm. So here we go. They usually are. I know. All right. This week's case begins in Sugarland, Texas on December 10th, 2003. The Whitaker family was a middle to upper class family of four. The father, Kent Whitaker, worked as an accountant and the mother, Trisha, was a retired elementary school teacher. Together, they had two sons, Bart, who was 22 at the time, and Kevin, who was 19 years old. The two brothers were extremely close and Kevin looked up to his older brother, Bart. From an outside perspective, they were a happy family who were close with their friends and neighbors since they lived in a very safe community. The night of December 10th was a celebration for the family. Bart Whitaker had told his family he had just finished all of his final exams and was going to be graduating from Sam Houston State University with honors, according to ForensicFilesNow.com. Nice. The Whitakers had decided to go out to dinner to congratulate Bart, so they went to Papado's Seafood Kitchen, according to ForensicFilesNow.com. Okay. Why are you I've laughing? Li- well, no, I've just lived in Texas, so it's it's hard. Or I mean, it's not hard. It's sort of weird to hear all these things that you know, oh. know of, like the places and the names of things. Yeah, sort I've of funny. never been there, but I did look it up, and it just kind of looks like a red lobster. It's a fancier red lobster. Oh, okay. It's a, I mean, you know how you could go into red lobster wearing just a t-shirt and shorts? Yeah. You probably would wear like a, maybe a button up or like a dress or something. Like oh, a, all right. It's not like. Super fancy, but it's a little bit nicer. A small tier above Red Lobster. Okay. Okay. So at the dinner, the family shared stories, jokes, and laughed a lot. Trisha joked with Bart that she, quote, was going to jump up and down and scream, thank you, Jesus, end quote, (laughs) since she was so happy that he was actually going to graduate, according to CBSnews.com. They also took pictures to document the milestone. One of the biggest moments of the night was when Kent and Trisha gave Bart his graduation gift. It was a Rolex watch that Bart had always wanted. Dang. I know. Are you going to get me a Rolly when I graduate? (laughs) That's the goal. (laughs) (laughs) Dang, that is a nice gift. That's a very, very nice gift. And in case anybody's wondering, I knew Rolex watches were expensive. Like... Maybe in the couple upper hundreds. No, they start out at like a couple grand. Yeah. So yeah, you're paying just to put that. I in think like minimum probably thirty five hundred for a man's, like, a man's watch. I didn't even realize they are crazy expensive. Mm-hmm. So they ended the meal with bread pudding that had congratulations spelt out in chocolate sauce on top. Mm. That does sound good. Overall, the night was described as happy, quality family time. When the Whitakers arrived back home after their dinner, though, their lives would change forever. As they entered into their home, four shots were fired. Kevin had walked into the home first, and he was shot in the chest. Trisha had also suffered a gunshot wound to the chest. Kent had been shot in the upper body region, and Bart had been shot in the arm. Oh my gosh. So their whole family got shot. Yeah, each of them got shot. One bullet. Mm Mm-hmm. Damn. A lawyer described the scene from Kent's perspective, stating, quote, he watched his son Kevin walk into the house, 
heard the first and fatal shot, and saw his son's fallen body in their darkened home. He heard Trisha's last wet coughs as Kent himself lay dying from his own gunshot wound. The bullet hit Kent nearly six inches from his heart, end quote, according to NBCNews.com. <sighs> That's so sad. I know. That's I, such a, I mean, that description is sort of pretty detailed. Yeah, it's scary. <sighs> A neighbor named Cliff Stanley had heard the gunshots and came running over to help the family. He went up to Kent first, and he said, quote, I'm bleeding very badly, end quote, according to cbsnews.com. Cliff used his own shirt to help apply pressure and stop the bleeding of Kent's gunshot wound. Cliff also went over to Trisha as she lay on the floor moaning a little. When he asked her what happened, her reply was, quote, he shot us, end quote, according to cbsnews.com. Who is he? But nobody knew who that he was. <sighs> Cliff noted he saw Kevin, but that he was already dead by the time he made it over there. Oh my gosh. Bart called 911 and told the police he had been shot in the arm and chased the shooter out the back door of the home, according to forensicfilesnow.com. Kent, Trisha, and Bart were rushed to the emergency room, but sadly, Trisha did not survive her wound. Kent and Bart had survived. Oh my gosh. What shooter, though? I have a question. Like, what shooter shoots all four people and then one of them runs after you out the back and you don't, like, shoot again? That's confusing know. to me. Like, I don't understand. If you're already, like, trying to kill, like, murder people. And then someone's chasing you, you still have a gun. Mm -hmm. Like that was unnecessary to have to shoot them. It seems like if it was just like a robbery or. Yeah, I'm just confused on that part, but I guess you'll answer that. I will. When the police were dispatched to the home, they were in disbelief. According to ForensicFilesNow.com, the crime rates, especially murder rates in Sugarland, are pretty much non-existent. Kent actually even recalled that when they walked into their home that night and saw the intruder, he thought it was one of their son's friends playing a prank with a paintball gun. Oh my. So police immediately went to work trying to discover what truly happened that night, which led to such fatal outcomes. Initially, the police believed that this could have been a burglary gone wrong, and that when the family arrived home, they surprised the burglar, which caused him to shoot. As the police investigated the home, they noticed that in the master bedroom, the dresser drawers were open in an equal and orderly fashion. It's more typical for a burglar to throw the drawers and everything in them around to see if there are any hidden valuables, according to cbsnews.com. Detective Marshall Slot, who was the lead detective on the case, began to question how this robbery could have been legit. Mm -hmm. Another strange thing was that nothing had actually been taken. Valuable items like electronics and jewelry were all still there. The final questionable piece of evidence was the murder weapon. The gun used to murder half of the Whitaker family belonged to them. It was the father Kent's gun. The family had a well-hidden gun safe that had been pried open. The police noted that whoever used this gun had to have known that the family owned it and where it was located in the home. Gosh, that's... So terrible. I know. Kent and Bart expressed to the police that they wanted to find who did this to their family. But with the police's discoveries, they took 
a deeper look into the family's background since something just seemed off. What they discovered was alarming. Information from Sam Houston State University showed that Bart was not actually an enrolled student at all. Oh my. He was actually a freshman on academic probation. What the heck? Apparently, he started out at Baylor University, but then transferred. And when he got to Sam Houston, he essentially just stopped going to class altogether. And that's how he was put on academic probation, according to ForensicFilesNow.com. This was a pretty big red flag to the police, since Bart was clearly hiding a huge portion of his life. Mm -hmm. But when they questioned why he would lie about such a thing, his response was just that he didn't want to disappoint his family. Yeah. Five days later, another shocking piece of this story came in. At around 11.30 that night, Detective Slot was informed that someone had a tip for him and wanted to talk about it. Detective Slot met a man outside in a dark parking lot behind the police station, according to CBSNews.com. The man's name was Adam Hip, and he informed Detective Slot that two years prior to the shooting, that Bart had come to him with an intricate plan to kill his family and that he was hoping Adam would help him. Oh my gosh. They had a three-hour-long conversation, and during that time, Adam even drew out a detailed diagram of what the layout of the home and where the family would enter looked like. Adam was going to be the shooter, and Bart even asked him to shoot him in the shoulder, so that way he would look like a victim and not a suspect, according to cbsnews.com. It was a realization because Detective Slot said it was, quote, the exact blueprint, end quote, of the crime that had just happened five days before. (sighs) That's insane. Six days after the shooting, a thousand family members and friends came together for the funeral of Trisha and Kevin Whitaker, Kent and Bart in attendance. The police focused in on Bart as a suspect and even informed Kent of their suspicions. Every time they tried to question him, he lacked a lot of detail and seemed extremely unsure or unable to remember most of what happened that night. Police started to look into Bart's other friends since that's who he tried to recruit in the first place, so they zoned in on Chris Brashier and Stephen Champagne. They were two of Bart's co-workers at Bentwater Yacht and Country Club near Lake Conroe. They obviously denied having anything to do with the murders and both provided DNA specimens and something called scent samples. They used bloodhounds to smell their samples and the ones found at the crime scene and they found a match. Oh. Chris Brashier's scent sample matched the ones found on the dresser drawers and the gun. What's a scent sample? Like they stick a piece of your shirt or like... Yeah, I don't know if like they make you touch something for a while or they take a piece of clothing that you haven't washed. I don't know for sure. but What year was this again? 2003, I believe. Okay. Yes, 2003. That's crazy. I didn't even know that was a thing. I know. I've it was, never seen any other cases that do that. Yeah, but it is interesting how they used it to... Identify him. Identify because they used like their bloodhounds and stuff. I yeah. don't know. That's kind of interesting. That was cool. So they told him that they had found that connection, but Chris still continued to deny his involvement. During this, though, seven months after the shooting, Bart Whitaker disappeared. This was a huge setback for the police since they were finally collecting the evidence they needed to make the arrest, but they kept their focus on Chris and Stephen still. 
A year and a half after the shooting, Stephen Champagne finally cracked and told the police what happened that night. He told police that Bart had hired him and Chris to help kill his family. Both of them. Yeah. Gosh. Stephen's job was to be the getaway driver since he didn't really want to be involved, but was afraid of what could happen to him if he said no, knowing the amount of information that he did. Mm -hmm. So that night he watched the family at the restaurant and let Chris know when they were on their way home. Chris was going to be the one to shoot the family when they arrived. Stephen also led the police to the exact location that him and Chris dumped evidence. It was a bridge over Lake Conroe, so divers were used to locate the bag. Inside the bag, police found a chisel with paint on it that matched the gun safe, so this is what was used to pry it open. They also found ammunition that was in the gun and two cell phones that Bart had gotten Chris and Steven, so their communication about the murder plan couldn't be tracked on their real phones. It was it was that easy to break open a gun safe, which is... I guess. I don't know. Oh, my. I don't know how nice the one that they had was. Uh, How long it took them. I don't know. Mm. They also found a glove that matched one found at the crime scene and a water bottle that had Chris's DNA sealed in the cap, according to ForensicFilesNow.com. With the death of his entire family... Bart was hoping to receive a $1.5 million life insurance policy that he promised to share with Chris and Steven for the help of carrying it out. What's with all these life insurance policies? People murders? really go after that stuff. It's insane. So, in September of 2005, Chris Brashear and Steven Champagne were arrested for the murders of Trisha and Kevin Whitaker, but police were still searching for Bart. Bart had actually fled to Mexico in a town called Seralvo. Sorry if I say that wrong, which is about 40 miles south of the Texas border, according to CBSNews.com. He left with about $7,000 he had stolen from his dad and with the help of a man named Rudy Rios and adopted that identity. <laughs> so Bart, now Rudy, spoke very little Spanish, and attempted to build a life for himself. He began dating a girl he met at church, and she was just taken with him, claiming him to be so interesting. Shortly after they started dating, the girl's father gave Rudy a job at the furniture shop he owned. This family really liked him and were fascinated by his stories. He actually told the family that he was an only child and that his mother was a prostitute. (laughs) He said his family never showed him any love. Bro. He also told them that the gunshot wound on his arm was a battle scar from the time he spent in Afghanistan. Oh my gosh. The story was that his group was surprise attacked and that while most of them died, he was one of the few heroic survivors. He lived there for a little over a year like this. But eventually... Police put out a $10,000 reward if anyone could come forward with information about his whereabouts. One day, the real Rudy Rios, who had helped Bart get to Mexico, called the Sugarland Police Department anonymously, saying, quote, I know where Bart Whitaker is. I helped him get there, end quote, according to CBSNews.com. So he was double dipping. Oh, yeah. Rudy and Bart had worked together in a restaurant in Houston, And when Bart told him about the police closing in on him, 
Rudy offered to help him get to Mexico since he had family there. Bart paid Rudy $3,000 for his help, but Rudy had no real loyalty to Bart, and when there was a chance to make even more money, he turned Bart in. Mm -hmm. Finally, Bart was brought back to the Sugarland Police Department. He admitted to what he had done. By October of 2005, all three of the boys involved were on trial. As attorneys began to build their cases, they discovered unsettling information. Bart had tried to recruit people to help murder his family three times before it finally happened. Oh my gosh. In December of 2000, Bart asked his college roommates, Will Anthony and Justin Peters, they were actually going through with it until they got to the home and when they attempted to open up a window to sneak in, an alarm went off, according to cbsnews.com. Hmm. A few months later is when Bart asked Adam Hip to help and he also actually agreed to do it. The third time Bart tried to set his plan in motion, one of his friends from college named Jennifer Jaffet was terrified and told the police about what she had heard. The police actually informed Kent and Trisha that they had learned their son was plotting to murder them, but they were extremely confused and just didn't believe it. Oh my gosh. Kent said, quote, it was just the far outest thing that you can conceive of, and we immediately said, there's no way, end quote. Bart was a good liar and manipulator, and he told his parents someone had taken something entirely out of context, and it was all just a huge misunderstanding. Oh. It's like a weird position to be in. How yeah. could you ever think your child was actually plotting to murder you? Yeah, you wouldn't. I feel like you could just never wrap your head around that. Mm -hmm. I agree. It is still crazy to me how many boys actually did agree to help him with his plan, and they all admitted to just being interested to see how far it would go in some twisted way. Bro, what the heck? Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of young boys who all came from wealthy families agreeing to help this kid kill his family. Yeah. And they, that was all their reasoning, is they were just interested to see. What the hell is wrong with people? dark, gross way. I don't understand. Chris Brashear pleaded guilty and was sentenced to life with the possibility of parole in 30 years. And Stephen Champagne was only charged with 15 years since he testified against Chris and Bart. Bart's trial began in March of 2007 and lasted six days. After only two hours, the jury found him guilty. <laughs> However, when it came to his sentencing, his father, Kent, was terrified and strongly advocated that his son not receive the death penalty. He had forgiven his son and believed that he had changed. Oh my gosh. Kent was also extremely religious and feared for his son's life in heaven if he received the death penalty. Bart spoke directly to the jury himself, and their main question to him was if he knew why he did what he did, but his response was, quote, No, sir. I have come up with a lot of the reasons for how I, how I got to where I was going, but they do not explain it. I always felt that whatever love they sent me was conditional on a standard that I just never felt I could reach, end quote. So all he could come up with was that he felt unloved by his family and couldn't meet their expectations for him. Go cry yourself a river. I agree. 
After 10 hours of deliberation, the jury sentenced him the death penalty since they felt that he was still a threat to society. Yeah. Kent Whitaker was heartbroken since he refused to abandon his son, his last surviving family member. He tried to lobby for Bart's sentence to be reduced to life for over 10 years. Oh my gosh. But at 6 p.m. on February 22nd, 2018, Bart's execution was set, according to cbsnews.com. A week before, Kent pleaded with the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles, saying, quote, We're not asking them to forgive him or let him go. We just want them to let him live. Bart was my last surviving member of my natural family, and no one in my family wants to see him executed, end quote. Even guards at the prison where Bart was located wrote letters asking for him to receive clemency, according to ForensicFilesNow.com. I'm not, like, uh, leaning either way on the let him live or die, but I'm just so surprised that so many people, like, even guards and stuff, would even care. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I guess he was just a really good inmate and won them over that way from what I read. But it is a very difficult decision to make, like to choose which side to be on. Mm -hmm. Because you can definitely easily see it from both sides, I feel like. Yeah. But yeah, I couldn't imagine having to be in that situation. In that time, Kent also wrote a book called Murder by Family and he remarried. Two days before the lethal injection was set, the board made a recommendation for clemency, but the final approval had to come from Governor Abbott. However, February 22nd came and there was still nothing from him, so Bart prepared to die. He had his final meal and said goodbye to his father through a glass window. Forty minutes before the execution was scheduled, a call was made. Governor Abbott made a statement saying, quote, Mr. Whitaker's father insists that he would be victimized again if the state put to death the last remaining member of his immediate family, end quote. Bart Whitaker's sentence was then reduced from the death penalty to life without the possibility of parole. He still remains in solitary confinement, which upsets Kent since he's not interacting with other inmates or having contact meetings with his son, but due to the degree of his crime, that's the custody level he gets, according to the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. Forever? I don't know if it's going to change, but that was just the most recent statement made in 2019. Okay. But I couldn't imagine 40 minutes before your death sentence is supposed to go through. Yeah. And you get pardoned. He still got the meal. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Some weird way of looking at it. But yeah, that's uh, that's a lot of emotions that you'd be going through. Oh yeah, I couldn't imagine. And for his father. Yeah. That like roller coaster. Yeah, I mean, like you said, you still can't see him, but mm -hmm. he's probably has some peace knowing that his son's alive. I don't, I've never been a, or obviously I'm not a parent, but I just don't feel like I could forgive for murdering. That's insane. Yeah, I know. It's honestly a feeling that not many parents have had probably to decide on. And I just feel like that's something 
an average person just couldn't comprehend because it's such an insane situation. Yeah, because they're the ones that took everything away from you. But you still love them. They're yours. Yeah. It just, I don't know. I feel like it's a it's a loop. Yeah. You I can't ever break. I feel like you can never break that loop. You yeah. just keep cycling through. I could really see why you wouldn't want to lose your last remaining family member. Yeah. I mean, it's it was his father's choice to feel that way. And mm-hmm. he fought for his son no matter what, which that's yeah. their relationship, I guess, and how they grew. Because they did get to have some meetings. It just, a contact meeting means like, Face to face, like there's nothing in like necessarily between you, I think. Oh, okay. Because I know they have so like there's a lot of pictures. Well, not a lot, but there's like a picture of them together with like a big glass barrier and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think contact meetings mean like being closer to each other. Okay. But he hasn't been allowed to interact with other inmates and everything. That was what his father really wanted for him. But I don't know if anything's changed since then or if it will. So he could plan to kill other inmates with, he, with them. Yeah, they, that's why he's not in, still in solitary confinement because yeah. he was considered a threat. So I don't know. I don't it know. just sounds like he's someone who's willing to cause chaos but not be held responsible for it. Like, Yeah. He had nothing to do with the whole murder situation other than all the planning. Like, Yeah. He got to, I don't understand, like, why people would be like, yeah, I mean, we'll do everything, and you'll just. Yeah, I can't imagine how many people he was able to gather up, but there was no sign of any abuse from his family to him, no evidence of that, nothing. It doesn't sound like he ever stated that either. just sounds like his family wanted a good life for him. They did. That's that's what makes it so heartbreaking is this wasn't someone who was neglected and abused and he acted out. This family loved him and cared about him and probably just pushed him like, Hey, maybe instead of doing this, you should do your homework. And for some reason that just really upsets some kids. And unfortunately he took it to an unthinkable, undescribable, terrible level. Yeah. He's just mentally weak. Yeah. And looked for an easy way out. A terrible easy way out. It is terrible. So I don't know how much he's changed since then, but at least he has a relationship with his father. And that's all you can really hope for, I guess, out of that situation. Yeah. More for his dad's sake. I don't care about him. Yeah, definitely more for his father's sake. I agree. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. That is this week's case. I don't really have any um, informational help too much. I feel like this is a pretty unique story. And the pretty big takeaways here are trust that the people around you who love you do love you. And if you find yourself around people not bringing out the best in you, then maybe walk away from that if possible. But trust when people tell you they love you and care about you and show it through their actions. Yeah. So... That is this week's case. All right. So for the question of the day, to sort of spin this around, maybe help you guys look a little more positive after this situation, but what is your greatest or fondest or a memory that you look on, 
look back on frequently with your family? Yeah, it's a good question. So I was trying to think, of course, I could probably give you a million. Yeah. But something that kind of just popped into my mind when we talked about this question was my family and I did this like karaoke night one time. I don't even know how it came about. My family and I always pretty much have music on in our home and we all fight for (laughs) whose music taste is going to be playing. But it was kind of shortly after COVID had kicked off and I had just made it back here to Germany with my family from college. And so there was just a lot of navigating and such an unsettling time. And so one night had to have been in April um we all just started singing songs and then we all it turned into all of us taking a turn singing a song so it kind of became this like impromptu karaoke night and it was super happy and fun and then we started picking emotional music and then we started crying and just I don't know it was just kind of like a really good like family time like just to like laugh and cry together and just love each other and it was something I look back on fondly and I love my family. So yeah. Nice. <laughs> what about you, Dylan? So I'm probably going to pick one more specific to like each family member. So cause that's the ones that pop out to me the most. But with my dad, we would go snowboarding every weekend, especially when I first started learning. I was, I mean, I was really young then. I don't remember those as much. But as I got older, uh, we would always go snowboarding. I would usually have my snowboarding class at the beginning of the day. And then around the afternoon, we would snowboard together. And it was just really cool. Like, he'd let me pick the trails to go down and stuff. And that was really fun. And then afterwards, we would halfway down the mountain stop at like this. Uh, it's like a, It looks like a cabin, like a home. But it's uh, right by this river in the middle of the mountains. And we would always get like a BLT and a hot chocolate. <laughs> it was it was a good BLT. <laughs> Thick bacon. Really good. Juicy uh, tomato. Thank you for the details. <laughs> You're welcome. Food really sticks into my head pretty well. Yes, it does. And then I'd say with my mom, it's just more than normal things in life. Like uh, her always taking me to like my practices and like football practice and my track meets and stuff like that. And those were always just small things where like I was embarrassed of at the time. <laughs> like, Oh my gosh, mom, like stop embarrassing. <laughs> oh, she's going to love this. I can hear her now. <laughs> I just remember those all the time. Like, Oh, you're going to kill him. <laughs> I'm like, that's so embarrassing for you to say. And we all walk away with my head down. Oh no. <laughs> and, I mean, it's not embarrassing anymore. But no, but I can see little Dylan getting all red. Yeah. And then I'd say it's a more normal thing with my sister as well. We would just, I don't know, every time when she likes to sit in her room and not be bugged, I would be the one to come in and bug her. <laughs> so it would always be start with me just like pissing her off, like jumping in her bed and, you know, annoying her as much as possible. But then we'd usually just chill or watch something or, talk or just love on the dogs Mm because they're always laying in her bed yeah so i'd say those are probably my most or my memories that come up the most frequent yeah those are all super sweet i feel like we both had one that's like worn down downplayed like 
for most like during a day you wouldn't think about those things yeah you look back on them very fondly Mm -hmm. yeah all the small things really add up and make us appreciate our families even more because I know even now driving my sister around sometimes I'm like this is not a small task shout out to my parents who drug me back and forth from dance classes and cheer practice and school (laughs) those are those things mean a lot that means Mm -hmm. they truly truly care yeah because now I I see they definitely had better things to be doing (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah so shout out to our fans Mm-hmm. love you guys you've been so supportive with all of our podcast endeavors and so thank you we love you and i hope you all maybe send a text to a loved one a family member or even just like a really good friend someone you view as family just let them know that you're thinking about them mm-hmm. because it's those little things that like dylan said that all build up and over time you just care about them deeply and mean the world to you mm-hmm but thank you so much for listening this week. We are so excited to be back next week with another new episode. Yeah, please share the podcast because we're dropping every week. So yes, be ready to listen every Monday and share it with family and friends. <laughs> Sounds good. All righty. All right. Have a great week, everybody. All right. Goodbye, everyone. Bye.